Welcome to Let's Talk Sales. This is a podcast for anyone interested in growing sales. We are in the last quarter of the year, so it's a really great time to reflect on the accomplishments that we've achieved this year and plan new goals for 2020. But it's also crucial that we begin to assess the state of our business. In our latest ebook, you'll learn how to troubleshoot your sales problems using the sales performance assessment. You'll also develop a breakthrough strategy that can help your company achieve major sales growth in the coming year. Make sure to go ahead and grab a copy. You can find the link in today's show notes at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod195. Our theme for the month of October is assessing the state of your business. Here on the podcast, we are talking to all of our guests about it, and you can check out the blog at criteriaforsuccess.com slash blog for more information and advice for you and your team. This is Elizabeth Frederick, and today I am speaking to the co-founder and CEO of Spyro.ai, a company dedicated to helping sales teams spend more time selling using artificial intelligence. He has worked in the CRM and technology space for over 20 years and previously founded Innovere, which is one of the largest CRM consulting firms. What's interesting is that now he has decided to try to kill CRM. We will get into that more in a moment. So we are really excited to have you. Our guest today is Adam Honig. Hey, Elizabeth. Nice to talk with you. All right. Well, Adam, I just shared um, the bullet points of your bio, but could you introduce yourself to our listeners? Maybe tell them a little bit about the journey that you've been on to get you where you are today. Yeah, sure. Happy to do that. You know, it wasn't always my ambition to kill CRM. This is just something that kind of came to me one day um, because, you know, I've been working in the field of CRM for about 20 years, as you said, and it's it's really been terrible. Uh, and uh, and the reason why it's been so terrible is because companies spend so much time and effort uh, and money to make CRM, you know, happen. And often uh, the result of that is that everybody really hates it. And so my last company, uh, which was called Innovere, um, you know, we, we grew that from just me to be one of the largest uh, CRM consulting companies in the world. And I, I sold that business in 2012. You know, and we'd work with, uh, you know, companies like Covidian, and they would spend millions and millions mm-hmm. of dollars standing up Salesforce, and then 10% of their sales teams would be using it a month later. You know, and it was just, um, it was very frustrating. And even though the money was really good for the company, and there was a lot of work to be done, it was just that not emotionally satisfying kind of thing because of the amount of hate that I got from people in the field. And <laughs> I remember I, I was at a conference and I asked a group of salespeople how much they liked their CRM. And, you know, one guy threw something at me. This is oh, sort dear. of like what I had to deal with on a day-to-day basis. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I sold the business in 2012 and, and Innovere is now part of Accenture. And, um, you know, it was, it was great. And, you know, for me, what really changed my life was uh, seeing a movie. Uh, you know, and, and, and that kind of propelled me down this journey to, you know, decide that we, we need to kill CRM. We need to make it go away. I absolutely love that story. And it's so funny because it reminds me of a conversation I had with another guest on the podcast. And this was a few months ago. So I'm not going to remember who it was. I will try to track it down and put them in the show notes. But he got the idea for starting his company from a movie as well. And I think a lot of times when you see a story, um, especially something that maybe um, has a different kind of reality or different kind of experience, it can give you an idea that you wouldn't have otherwise. 
And you can, can you tell us a little bit about how you were inspired by a movie to start your company? Yeah, sure. Happy to do that. I mean, I think, you know, for, for me in particular, going to a movie kind of strips away all of the mental processing that's going on and leaves me at least very open to new ideas. And so I, I went to go see this movie, uh, which is called Her. Uh, which was directed by Spike Jones, and he's done another number of other really interesting films. And uh, so, so in the movie, Joaquin Phoenix basically downloads a new app on his phone, which is played by the voice of Scarlett Johansson. She, she herself does not appear in the movie, just her voice. But even that is enough to make Joaquin Phoenix fall in love with her. And the reason why is she's living on his phone. She's watching what he's doing. She's reading his emails. And she starts to give him advice and help him through his day. The movie gets really weird and whatever. But, but I'm watching this movie, Elizabeth, and I'm thinking to myself, this is what salespeople need. They don't need CRM. They need Scarlett Johansson telling them what to do all day. <laughs> you know, wouldn't that be the dream? And, and and I was like, wow, what we need to do. And I called up my co-founder, Andy, who's our CTO. And I was like, Andy, we need to build Scarlett Johansson for Salesforce. And he was like, <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. And uh, and so we got together and we kind of hashed it out. And, you know, kind of the idea uh, behind Spiro was to, um, you know, have basically turn CRM into an assistant to help you uh, as a salesperson or as a sales leader, you know, doing all the things that you need to do instead of like typing stuff into a form and hitting save and expecting that somebody's going to review a report with that information, everything would kind of come to you. And uh, what we've learned now by working with about 200 customers who, uh, who are using Spiro is that um, that they're replacing CRM with it entirely. Um, and that this has kind of led us to this mission of destroying, you know, what I would argue is really the most hated software category on the planet. Yeah, I think it, it's so interesting. And obviously, you have that, you know, I think I saw it listed on your LinkedIn bio or on your website. Um, and, and people might think, oh, that's a that's a big statement. But it's amazing to see how much of, as you said, CRM is a big part of a lot of sales teams budgets. And then a lot of times you see that there's even one or more team members like a sales enablement person, and then you'll have a CRM administrator. You have multiple people whose sole job is making sure that the CRM works and making sure that people are using the CRM. And then sometimes we see that companies will hire sales assistants and they end up spending most of their time just trying to get people to, you know, just putting stuff in the CRM on people's behalf. And so, Companies are really, really struggling to successfully get what they're trying to get out of CRM. And I, to me, I think one of the issues is what is the purpose of CRM? And what I hear from you is um, you have a real passion for supporting salespeople and making their jobs easier and making it easier for them to sell. Am I correct there? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I've been a salesperson my whole life. This is definitely my calling. Yeah. And I think a lot of times what CRM has been developed into is a reporting structure. Right. And it is really important when you're running a business to have reports to run your business. But I think what a lot of companies don't realize is unless you do a lot of really intelligent planning and work, and even then it might not be easy with the CRM system you pick, um, CRM isn't necessarily a sales enablement tool. 
it's it's a business reporting and pipeline management tool. And if you want that sales enablement piece, a lot of times the CRM might not be the best place to look for that. Right, right. And I mean, CRM is just, it's backwards, right? I mean, we're taking the, the people who are trying to generate revenue for your business and we're asking them to become data entry clerks, essentially. And with no thought as to what's going to help them. It's all about the report at the end of the day. I was talking with a customer. So about half of our customers, which I also find really, really interesting, have never used a CRM before. And they've rejected it outright because they're like, listen, our, our guys are never going to use that. That's kind of what they say to me. But I had this one customer who said to me, hey, I, I feel like CRM is actually like, um, it's a, like a protection racket. And I was like, whoa, what do you mean? And he's like, well, you know, this big consulting company came in to do an assessment of what could help us grow. And they, and they recommended CRM and they recommended Salesforce in this case. And then Salesforce came in and gave them this big price for the software and recommended that they hire that big consulting firm to do all of this work to get it to happen. And they're like, hey, what kind of craziness is this? You know, and, and if you think about like the things that need to happen that a salesperson needs to do. OK, you have a meeting. You need to take some notes. You need to set a reminder. Why can't the software just do that for you? Why does it rely upon the, the poor sales rep to make all of that happen when you, we know that this is not their strength? I really love that idea that you have of kind of enabling salespeople to focus on, first of all, what they're naturally going to be maybe better at and more inclined to do. And second, I would imagine freeing up time for them to do more of that. Because if you're spending less time, you know, typing up your notes and updating information in a system, that gives you time to make more calls and have more meetings and spend more time interacting with prospective clients, which should eventually pay off and um, generate more business for the company. Right, right. I mean, it's such a dilemma because like the best salespeople, they don't even bother doing that, you know? And then, you know, you have this, the sales reps who are, aren't doing as well and they feel like they need to do the data entry. And so it really bogs them down even more. And so it's it's totally crazy. And that's why, you know, we just believe that in, in the day and age that we're living today with all of this great technology out there, there needs to be a way to apply that to make it easier for sales folks. And, and you know, the result of that is that sales leaders actually get better data. The reports are better. The forecast is more accurate, you know, because nobody's typing that stuff in. It just happens. Yeah, because we do see, and it doesn't matter how well you have implemented a CRM um, system, you're going to have different levels of adoption within the team. And so if you are basing your reporting and your forecasting, and um, if you're a public company, you know, your forecasts are incredibly important. If you're basing that on self-inputted data into a CRM system, you're going to see a level of variance. There are going to be some people who are sticklers and who are going to dot every I and cross every T and everything is going to be in the CRM system. And then you're going to have other people who only put in an opportunity once they're 99% sure it's going to close. And so suddenly their close rate looks massive because that's all that they're tracking. Um, and then there will be other people who you have to like catch them and pay a sales assistant to type up that opportunity in the system after it's already closed, just so you have your, your record. And what that's going to result in is um, it's impossible to really track what your close rate is. 
it's impossible to really evaluate and compare one sales rep against another if you want to do that from a reporting perspective. It's impossible to really understand what does it take to be successful because you have those varying level of levels of adoption. Your reporting, to a certain extent, is meaningless, or at the very least, it requires extensive adaptation. Um, we were working with a large public company, and this was years ago, but their CFO had a very complicated series of spreadsheets that he had to use to take the data they would get out of their CRM system and manipulate it and figure out how much of that do we think is really real that we can then um, share with investors because it's really important to feel like you're sharing stuff that you're you're confident in and they didn't think the raw data out of the CRM was sufficient for right. that. Right. Well, there's there's an old joke is, you know, what, you know, the uh, I'm going to blow the joke. Let me see if I can say it in the form of a joke here. But basically, you know, there's no time that your CRM data is more accurate than the day before you turn it on. You know, because it's always wrong, you know, because, again, it, you know, depends upon very subjective factors of people typing stuff in, you know, and, and maybe if you have a big enough sales team, you know, that'll kind of aggregate in a way that'll make sense, but, but not often. Mm-hmm. You know, versus, you know, you, you know, using products like Spiro and and there are other products out there that take this approach to using a statistical analysis that says, well, based upon the number of interactions that we have with a prospect, how likely are they to close? Like that's a formula that we can use to calculate something. And it takes all of that subjective, I think it's at 50% this deal out of the equation. <laughs> I think it's 75%. Think it's and, then, and then as consultants, we would come up with these elaborate measures. Well, it's 70% if you've discussed pricing and they have the contract, it's in legal review. And that means it's 70%. You know, and you know, and, and that's yep. great because salespeople are really bad at math, and so we don't even know what seventy percent really means. <laughs> uh, but but it's not like you know you never win seventy percent of the deal, right? It's either it happens or it doesn't. Exactly, like there's no, it's binary in that way. So, so I. I I could have a whole long rant on that because it's so funny that the default in so many CRM platforms is they show a percent to close. But like you said, you're going to win it or you're not. You're not going to win seventy percent of it, and people don't seem to understand that if you're going to use percentages, what the percentages should be used for is waiting the entire pipeline. And you should win 70% of all of the deals that are marked at 70%. And so if technically they were all the same value, 70% of that is your forecastable revenue. It's not that that deal is 70% necessarily likely to close or that you're going to get 70% of that opportunity. And people think about this all wrong. And it causes a lot of problems when it comes to oh, forecasting yeah. and and pipeline management. And it's just that little tiny thing of percent to close. And it it, it can explode an entire kind of sales reporting system. Sorry, I interrupted no, you there. But it's, totally it's on the money. an intense area of frustration yeah. for me. Um, because it's it's just literally the way systems are set up. And it, it causes management right. issues. Absolutely. I mean, I, I was... Uh, we had a, a oil company at my last company who was a, a customer. I don't want to say who they are, but it it almost resulted in a fist fight between two executives. They were so worked up about this <laughs> issue. But but so you, you've got this software category called CRM, and it's it's predicated on you know making salespeople data entry clerks. It's predicated on some sort of mathematical probability thing, which doesn't make any sense, you know. And then you know, and and our point of view is ah, look, don't try to make it better. Don't try to fix it. Let's just get rid of it and replace it with something that's human centric, you know, for to designed to be used by people that eliminates all these problems, but still gives leadership what they need. 
You know, that's that sort of our approach to the to the, par- to the problem. Absolutely, because it is important to have the kind of reporting that CRM systems have been, you know, they've kind of developed into trying to create. The issue is always, unless you have accurate data entry, your reports don't work. And the more and more and more you chase and harass and harangue and irritate your sales reps and then hire them assistants and do all this work to try to get that that data entry, it's not going to be fully accurate. You know, um, even if you eventually get the opportunity in the system, do you know when the origination date was? Do you have all of the interactions over time? If not, then you don't really have an accurate sense. And a lot of times, unfortunately, and this is a bit of a stereotype, but I find that it's true, some of the high performing reps can sometimes be some of the lowest adoption users of a CRM system. And so you have this this dichotomy of the people who are sometimes the power users, not always, but sometimes are, are maybe the lower performing reps and they maybe have a little more time to be updating a CRM all the time. And then you have some of the, the the busiest people, the most effective people. And again, this is a stereotype and it's not always true, but they have a perception or they have actual less time to update the CRM. And so they're the worst ones. And so you have these weird stats that you're actually measuring more accurately your low performers and not really getting good information from your top performers. Is that oh, something yeah. you've seen? Uh, as a matter of fact, I had breakfast with a, had a sales leader the other day and he said to me, and I'm kind of paraphrasing here, but he said, I always, during the interview process, ask how well the salespeople put data into CRM. And if they tell me they do a great job with it, we don't hire them. And I was like, what? <laughs> and uh, that's that's totally right. And this correlation between the bad data and the expected outcomes that you're talking about is is endemic, you know, in in the system. But, but let me let's take it to the, another level, though. So let's assume that you you had every interaction in there, every email, every phone call, every meeting. You could then build a statistical model that should show you when you might want to reach out next based upon all of this. And you could proactively alert the sales team to things that maybe they're not thinking about uh, and help them you know, elevate the level of engagement that they have with prospects and customers in that way. And that's another thing that, that we find very exciting about this change. Absolutely. The vision I've always had for what any sort of sales enablement tool should be is that it literally should say, you know, here are the people that you should be calling today based on Um, what's optimal. And it shouldn't have to be that a salesperson previously entered that as a follow-up. The system should be intelligent enough to say, you know, here are the leads that are probably worth calling today. And if you can automate that, if you can make that so that salespeople don't have to be scheduling all kinds of crazy follow-ups and and then, you know, you come in and you've got your tasks that are loaded up and it's just, it's a lot to expect people to do and to be really effective. And so if the system does it automatically and does it based on more intelligent data than a person would be able to think through, um, you're going to see significant results. Absolutely. I mean, as a longtime salesperson, I can tell you that I can keep approximately two deals in my head at any one time. (laughs) The one I'm working on and the one I need to work on next. And most salespeople, they're juggling, you know, 30, 40 deals. And it's always deals like, you know, nine through 20 that don't get attention. And if if and one of the things that Spiro does, Spiro does exactly what you said. I know we're not supposed to be making this a you know a product pitch or anything, but 
that was the first thing we built once we had all the data to literally push a recommendation to a salesperson to say, hey, deal number six needs some attention. Here's, you know, Jane that you need to call at this company. Give her a ring. Absolutely. Because as you said, um, it's just incredibly difficult to keep things top of mind. And a lot of times what we see is people are spending a ton of time and energy thinking about the very bottom of their pipeline. And there's certainly nothing wrong with paying attention to what's at the bottom of the pipeline. You need to do that. You need to think about, you know, what's, um, what's kind of, what do I need to do to just kind of get things across the finish line? But where you should be spending more of your time and energy is that top, uh, top and middle of the funnel. And really where, where you've got more things to do, um, more, more work to get done, more information to learn about prospects, more stuff for you to communicate to them. That's where the focus should be. But a sales rep is going to be naturally inclined to just be thinking about the deal that's going to close next. And to just give those little reminders of, hey, you don't want to look up next week after you did sign that new, that new client and think, oh man, I'm, I'm kind of behind the eight ball on the next opportunity I've got to be working on. That's a really unpleasant place to be for, for right. a poor sales rep. And they're really going to be struggling to kind of just catch up. And that's going to result in a lot of really bumpy um, activity because it's just going to constantly be kind of catching up from um, the last time they kind of blew out their pipeline. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And what, what we found, so my, my last company, we did a, a big project with uh, Abbott Labs, the big medical equipment manufacturer, and we found that uh, their sales reps spent more time calling on hospitals that were close to them as opposed to the ones that had the biggest opportunities ah. just because the presence of the customer. And so there's all kinds of distorting factors in there. You know, are you following up with all the customers that are complaining the most or the ones that reach back out to you the quickest? Are those really the best opportunities to focus on? Maybe, you know, but who knows? And so we can be very reactive in sales to things. And a big mission of Spiro is to be put proactivity back into the model so that you really focus on the things that matter that are going to make you the most money as the sales rep and help the company move itself forward faster. I love it. Um, I think that's that's so incredibly important. Um, I do a lot of reading and, and listening and research into um, just how human psychology impacts behavior and how so much of what we do is is based on subconscious cues. And so things like calling on the things that are close that you see, even if you might intellectually know that those are not the most important, it's just what your brain kind of cues up for you to do. And so a lot of times we need solutions like systems and technology to just prevent us from making the mistakes that our human brains would kind of naturally make. Right, right. But, you know, of course, if you have a terrible CRM system that doesn't have the right data in it, or ha even worse, has the wrong data in it, oh dear. it's never going <laughs> to tell you that kind of thing, right? You need an accurate representation to understand what, what this should be, if it's not going to be sort of a, a gut level instinct. Absolutely. All right. I want to pivot a little bit because um, I've, I've really enjoyed this conversation. But as I mentioned in the intro, um, in October, our theme for this month is assessing the state of your business. We think that this is obviously people should be doing this year round. But uh, as we move into Q4, it's a really good time to take a more formal kind of step back. How do you think companies should be looking at their systems, especially CRM, as they assess their companies looking into 2020? So in, in my experience working with a, a large number of companies in, in sales technology, what, what I've found is that uh, 
there's really only three things that any kind of sales technology is going to provide a business. Um, there's opportunities to grow and grow faster or grow more you know, quickly than they've done before. There's opportunities to save money. Uh, whether it's reducing marketing spend or, you know, reducing errors in the ordering process for some types of companies, you know, and then there's a, a third objective, which is really more of a customer experience objective, which is hard to quantify, but the, the, the how uh, much your customers and prospects, you know, are happy with how you're treating them during the, the pre and post sales experience. Absolutely. And what, you know, what I try to do uh, when I speak to companies about this is, is encourage them to be very clear about which objective they're trying to hit uh, within that. And, and sometimes they can be complementary and sometimes they can be in conflict. <laughs> and, you know, like having a better customer experience doesn't always mean, you know, spending more money, but, but sometimes it does. Um, and so, so we encourage folks to try to go down the path of getting really, really clear about what they're goals are, and then drilling that into the factors that can support it. So if, if, for example, if you're trying to increase growth, does that mean that you're trying to sell more to your existing customers? Are you trying to bring on more customers? You know, you know, what's, what's the angle that you're trying to do? And all of that should back into the technology that should support it. I love that model. It's like you can be, um, what is it? You can be fast, you can be cheap or you can be good. And you've got to pick maybe two, <laughs> definitely exactly. not all three. And um, you're right. You can't do everything. You can't be everything to all people. So really thinking about what are you focused on? Even just what are you focused on this year? You know, I've had clients who've said our focus this year is improving the customer experience. And that's all we're really focused on. Everything we do is going to be all about improving the customer experience because we think that strategically that's where we are. That's what we should be focused on. But maybe next year, the focus is going to be on um, on cutting costs. Uh, I would recommend generally that one of your first things that you should do is focus on growth because that's going to uh, give you the money <laughs> to do all of the other things that you need to um, that you need to focus on. But companies really need to think through at a strategic level um, where where are they looking to see that improvement because it really can't be everywhere. That's a really great, simple model. Thank you for and, that. And I, I find that companies sometimes rush into technology decisions without having thought that through. And then they're mm -hmm. disappointed by the what happens with the technology. And it's like, well, maybe the technology didn't work, but, but what was really the goal with that? You know, and if, you know, if a company is looking to replace a CRM, we always really want to understand why, you know, like, what are you trying to get out of it? Absolutely. Because something else, like, you know, what you've been talking about a lot is is enabling sales and really helping sales be be more successful. And that might save you money, especially if you're spending a lot on CRM and maybe you decide to use a different platform that's more affordable. Um, it may help you grow, but that wouldn't necessarily um, impact the customer experience. Now it might, um, if, if salespeople are calling the right people more often. Um, so it, it's not, it's not kind of a definitely yes or no sort of thing. But um, to really think about, you know, what what decisions are we making from a technology space or anywhere else um, that are going to drive us to our, our intentional strategic outcomes? Really important conversation yep. to have. All right. Um, I'd love to hear from you just a little bit. Um, what are you seeing as you assess the state of your business looking into 2020? Well, we just we just went through a, a management offsite 
to kind of go through our the beginning of our planning for 2020 last week, which is great exercise. We got every you know all the leadership team off for two days. The only thing we talked about was that no bad ideas. Just try to get everything up on on the board. And, and we've been you know we've been growing pretty quickly, so we've uh, been doubling and tripling for the past couple of years. You know, and so a lot of our challenges are about you know how do we maintain the quality that we're doing? How do we, you know, support the customers? How do we come up with new product ideas that kind of help fit the gaps that we're seeing in some of our customer um, needs? And so that's been a mm-hmm. lot of the, the thinking that we've been doing ourselves. Plus, you know, the basic, okay, well, how many people do we need to hire? You know, what's our financial targets? How do we back all of that into our plan as well? I love that. I think that makes a lot of sense. And for any of the listeners who have been experiencing that rapid growth, sometimes you have to say, hey, this year, certainly we still want to continue to grow, but this is going to be our year of really, um, you know, developing more structure around things or developing, um, you know, a a better kind of quality control system. Because uh, a lot of times, and I'm sure you've seen this in your own organization as well as um, in in your CRM consulting that you were doing, um, people organizations don't always seem to realize that what got you to where you're where you are is definitely not what it's going to take to get you to the next level and it's not just a matter of hiring more people and saying okay we're going to have twice as many people and they're going to do twice as much stuff um, right. it's different people in different roles and your role changes um, as as time goes by and so really thinking about um, are we sure that we are um, that we're doing everything we can to be successful um, makes uh, a lot of sense and definitely a great recommendation. Thank you for that. All right. Um, one question we always ask our guests because we get a lot of really great uh, information here is what are some of your favorite sales or business growth books that you would recommend to our listeners? Well, um, I'm, I'm a big fan of uh, something that's called category design, uh, which is mm-hmm. um, understanding how you fit into the market, but really defining your own space within it. And so there's a book uh, that I highly recommend, which is called Play Bigger. Uh, which is written by a gentleman by the name of uh, Christopher Lockhead. Uh, and that for me is a, it's a very inspirational story of his journey and how to go about defining a category of your business that you can really own and, and really take control of, which, you know, is part of the playbook that we're running here at Spiro. So I'm, I'm very excited about that. But it, I think it's um, it helped all kinds of different companies from, you know, uh, guitar manufacturers and, and so on, all the way through tech companies to get a focus on what they need to do in their business. I love that. I don't think I've heard of that book before, so I am going to add that to my um, constantly growing pile of books to read. Um, sounds like a really good one. All right, Adam. Here at Let's Talk Sales, we are really focused on providing actionable tips and best practices for our listeners. You've already given quite a few, but is there one tip that you would um, like to recommend before we go? Yeah, actually. Um, so, so our the Spiro website it can be found at Spiro.ai. And we, uh, we have a resources section uh, that has a white paper on defining those outcomes that you're trying to achieve with CRM or any technology for that matter. And so uh, that might be uh, you know, of interest to people if, if they liked what we were talking about in terms of business planning and how to set up any kind of technology project for success. Uh, we have a, a white paper that's called the Three Outcomes of Proactive Relationship Management uh, that you might want to download and check out. I really love that. I think a lot of times, um, you know, just going through an exercise like that, really thinking through strategically what um, what are you 
working on? What are you looking for? What are you hoping to achieve? Um, if you really step back and take the time to to do that and be intentional about it, you're going to end up getting a lot better results and it will inform the kinds of decisions that you should be making, whether it's, whether it's the right time. It might even sometimes be it's the right decision, but it's not the right time. And um, the, there's almost no better way to do it than to than to use a kind of an expert guide of people who've done it before and, and know all those questions that you should ask. Cool. So hopefully yeah. people can get some insight from that uh, that white paper we wrote. Definitely. All right. If you want people to learn more about you and your work, where else should they go in addition, obviously, to your website? Yeah. So besides Spiro.ai, I mean, you can find me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is Adam Honig, uh, you know, just like it sounds, uh, or LinkedIn. If, you know, people want to connect with me there, feel free to, you know, send me a connection request. All right. Well, thank you so much, Adam. I have really enjoyed our conversation today, and I'm sure our listeners will as well. And it's really interesting to hear about your plans to kill CRM and why you think that's so necessary. (laughs) Thanks, Elizabeth. I, I enjoyed the conversation as well. All right. And thank you to everybody who's listening. You can find the notes and resources for today's show at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod 195. Be sure to tune in next week when we are going to have another great interview. And in the meantime, check out this Friday's inspirational episode where Charles will be sharing a great quote that is sure to inspire you. As a reminder, if you have any feedback for us, topics or questions you want us to address, guests that you would recommend that we talk to, please, please, please reach out at podcast at criteriaforsuccess.com. We would love to hear from you. If you are enjoying the show, please recommend us to a friend and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your podcasts. While you're there, if you leave us a rating or a review, that really helps with the algorithms. It helps people find us and gives us um, information and advice for how we can improve. So we really appreciate that. Remember to follow us on Twitter at let's underscore talk underscore sales. Let's Talk Sales is a production of Criteria for Success and is produced by Ariana Miskell, Laura Marchoff, and me, Elizabeth Frederick. Happy selling! Thank you.